we're no longer calling them hybrid events and conferences. They're just events because hybrid, it's a given. How can we make sense of the technology needed to plan the best events in 2024? That's why my guest this week is Georgianne Gatton. Georgianne is an execution expert with over 15 years of experience in tech, specializing in events, education, and operations. She is the founder and CEO of GSD Solutions, she has a powerhouse team dedicated to handling the technical intricacies behind the scenes, freeing up professionals to focus on doing amazing work to serve their clients. A woman after my own heart, as she puts it, she crafts simpler solutions to complex challenges. Yes, today we're all event professionals. But first, welcome to this week's episode of Make Sense, a video podcast that simplifies complex issues at the intersection of tech and people. Whether you're totally hyped on artificial intelligence and ready for the robot takeover, or you want to crawl into a cave after deleting all of your social media accounts, I'm here with my guest to help make sense of what's going on so you can design yourself into the future. My name is Lindsay Tabus, the lady engineer. I am a pragmatic futurist and human-first technologist, serial entrepreneur, and innovation consultant. If you're new here, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's make sense of event planning and marketing in 2024. Georgianne, how are you? I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to be here. Um, this is my first podcast of the new year, so I'm excited to be, you know, talking, sharing some gems. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And we kind of chatting before that we've known each other for quite a few years, but this is our actually our first time speaking synchronously. Mm -hmm, so this will mm -hmm. be this will be really fun getting to know you this way. Um, so let's start with a new segment to make sense, which is get out of your head and into theirs. So to be better innovators, we need to constantly remind ourselves we are not the customers. Mm -hmm. Other people have to buy our products, adopt our solutions, and enjoy the experiences we offer. So in this segment, I asked my guests to tell us a bit more about the customers and users they cater to, particularly and specifically their tech know-how. So Georgie, this is just a level set ahead of our conversation on you know, the tech for event marketing and planning. Um, most of my listeners understand that all companies are now technology companies. And so yeah. they wanna deepen their understanding of different innovations and new applications of those innovations across industries. So where is your audience? Like who is kind of the avatar that you're helping? Yeah, so the main group that we help um, is actually the education industry, as well as um, professional services. So people that are, you know, marketers, um, lawyers, they do a lot of freelance work. But education is huge because learning has now been decentralized. You can learn from home, school, or a combination of the two. And we need different tools in order to connect these uh, instructors to students and allow them to learn in a more robust and interactive way, as well as I love how learning has now taken beyond the classroom. I've been a lifelong learner and I feel like everyone should be the same where you're always curious about what the new things are. And even this podcast, this is a learning yeah. experience. This is a class within itself. Yeah. And so with that education has broadened and we, but we love to support our education customers because I am an advocate for all things teaching, all things learning, because I feel like that's the only way to grow. If you're willing to say, I don't know this, or I want to learn more about this and then take a stab at it, whether that's through you know, a live stream, a podcast, yeah. a virtual summit, that is how change happens because things are moving so fast. There's no way at all any of us could keep up with yeah. it. But when we learn from others, so, you know, Lindsay, you learn something, you teach it to me. Then I learn something new and I could even teach it back to you or I teach other people. But that continuous flow of like educating ourselves um, just gets me super excited. Yeah. And that also just so happens to be our biggest customer base. Yeah, I always say leaders are learners. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not my saying, I picked it up <laughs> from someone else. And then I'm also a huge proponent of continuous learning and improvement. Mm -hmm. um, so these people that you support, like, what's their relationship to technology? What's their average level of technology expertise? Yeah, um, to be 100% honest, and I love all y'all. So if any of my clients or future clients are watching this, their level of expertise is, I don't want to do this. I just want to get to the learning, get to the part yeah. of learning. And 
because traditional learning has often been in office, in schools, in a place where, you know, take with a grain of salt, technology just takes a very long time, right? You know, the thing is around for a good solid five, maybe even 10 years before it then gets implemented into educational facilities. Now you have to be up to speed. And so the habits that people have built around how you, how tech savvy you need to be in many fields, education being one of them, um, it just was not, you didn't need to be tech savvy. You could just do a lot or, you know, a smart board came in your classroom. Oh, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to walk right on the chalkboard. Computers and laptops came. I'm going to opt out. We're going to just write on paper and pen. So a lot of the opt out now there is, you know, with COVID, There's we no saw choice. there was no opt out. You had to use the technology. And so your comfort level or your required level of learning is different. And then that leads to frustration because with technology, there's a lot of critical thinking that needs to happen. There's a lot of troubleshooting. There's a lot of um, failure and, and the failure doesn't come. So in the educational space, right? The material is the material. When it comes to technology, you can do everything right, but a server broke. You have nothing to do. You can, you can't fix that. (laughs) Yeah. There's an outage happening. You can't fix that. You know, no matter how much you want to do the thing, um, right. the troubleshooting is up to somebody else, maybe not even, you know, somebody or something or an AI that's not yeah. in this country, not in this planet, right? Like, so it, it gets not a little bit more planet. complex. <laughs> that's a different make sense episode. Um, so is are they, when they struggle using technology, are your clients mostly... Um, you know, like don't know how to use a Zoom webinar or are we talking more advanced, like adopting AR and VR into Oh, we're, we're talking about don't know how to use a Zoom uh, webinar. Um, and there's another aspect to it. It's not just don't know, but don't want, right? So one yep. of our slogans um, is, you know, good people shouldn't suffer for bad technology. And while I know that technology technically is bad per se, um, <laughs> When folks get frustrated, it just puts a level of a, a bigger gap. So if you're, you know, you have a small gap of there's a problem, I want to get to the solution. But once it doesn't work the first time, it you go so far away. A lot of people, they emotionally go so far away, especially if you um, are. What I've realized is that the higher level of talent that you have, the more frustrating and the more and the heavier it feels when you're not able to you know mend the technology especially in a short amount of time um i've seen doctors so we we did a training for um ucla health and that group these are seasoned doctors for 10 20 20 30 years and because they're so smart so high level they're literally performing brain surgery um but when the link wasn't working there would be such a fast level of uh, frustration or you know an uncomfortable level because just like i'm so good and so talented why can't i get this when you know a six-year-old could log into zoom to get their class done right and so we realized like oh no we don't want you to feel that way like it's not It's Especially not you. if you're presenting. If you're mm-hmm. the one presenting, you don't want to be thrown off your game with doing tech support. Exactly. Okay. So this is good because this is a good reminder to those of us in the tech industry or just working amongst tech professionals is that there are a ton, a ton of professionals out there that mm-hmm. still struggle with like with Zoom, with the basics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is always this is important, not just because of the segment that we need to get out of our head and get into theirs, but also that uh, we one of the things in the in my world that I follow with Make Sense are uh, predictions, and we're going to get to that next segment. But oftentimes, the real fu- the real intense futurist. I'm not going to say the real futurist because I'm a futurist too. Just first. <laughs> the real intense futurists are like, this technology will exist in 2030. Cool, but that doesn't mean anyone's gonna be using it, right? <laughs> that, that is it. So and a lot of the stuff we have now has been around for a, a while. Yeah, the media, like the hype cycle, there's usually like this cliff of the hype cycle. And I think we're definitely going to see that this year with a lot of the AI trends from last year, Um, just everyone getting super real. So speaking of AI real quick, um, because I did look at a lot of predictions in the event marketing and experiential marketing space, like, 
are these professionals at all using any AI, like just chat GPT for content, or are they going beyond that when it comes to events? I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people aren't even using that. Chat GPT, yeah. Bard, they have no idea. It's, yeah. It is still fairly new. Things like yeah. Zapier, Automate, still, there's a the majority of us or, or majority of people that stuff is so new, so foreign, so what are you talking about to them? They hear about it like, oh, cool, yeah, you know, AI. They hear, they might be able to recognize the words or probably even the logo just because of a lot of branding and marketing. But again, that doesn't mean that they're actually logging in, actually experimenting with it. Um, and so, and, and there's actually even more fear around it, especially in the educational space where it's like, oh, AI plagiarism. It's, you know, a cheat code. And a lot of people are like, the ethics around it, like, is it right? Right? Is it wrong, etc.? Yeah. So they're questioning that before they even take a look at the tool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so go we ahead. got an idea of we got an idea of what their tech savviness level is. Um, and to queue up for some make sense listeners, I am going to be having a very special guest, a, prof a professor an old professor of mine who is going to talk about how he figured out how to identify when his students were using chat GPT and AI on their papers and homework. So make sure you stay tuned for that upcoming episode. So now that we have an idea of the average kind of event professional and the types of people that you're supporting, I mean, it sounds like everyone's anyone that teaches a class Mm -hmm. that's hybrid or virtual is an event professional to some extent. So let's jump into crystal ball. What <laughs> does the future hold? This is where I call out interesting predictions for this year and the experts, my guests tell us their hot takes. So I'm going to fire off some predictions and Georgie, I want you to say, yes, I want that to happen or yes, that is happening or no please. No, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I, it shouldn't be any like really hard nose here. Okay. So I alluded this to this in the beginning, but uh, hybrid events become the norm. So during the pandemic, it was quite the whirlwind across industries mm -hmm. trying to adapt. Now that the dust is settling, companies are figuring out what stays and what goes. And it seems like blending virtual and in-person elements for wider reach. And it should just be events, not hybrid. Yes, definitely more of that. Um, I see a lot of people trying to avoid it though, which is interesting, but it definitely is needed, especially everyone's everywhere. People moved, um, you know, how we interact has such so evolved and it was always coming. There was always, you know, teleconferencing, telecommuting, it, it always existed, but we were all jolted into it at the same time, which that didn't exist you know, the entire human race doing the same thing at the same time that, or the majority of us doing the same thing at the same time, that didn't exist. And that's where, you know, we, we're now accelerated into it. What do you mean some people are trying to avoid hybrid events? Um, what I mean by that is, there was a sense of connection loss. A lot of people felt disconnected when they weren't in person. And what I see now is that a significant amount of folks are just like, oh, we're just strictly going back in person because we want to get that sense of connection back. When in reality, the sense of connection was lost because of how the virtual experience was produced. It wasn't produced with the intention of connection. It was just produced with the intention of sharing. Um, and you could share in a video that somebody could watch on their own. But if you are, if you want people to be connected or feel um, emotion, the same high level, high touch, you know, things that you do for an in-person event, you have to do those on virtual and there are tools to do it. Something as simple as serving a meal during the event, giving, um, you know, a, sending out a box with swag so that folks could wear memorabilia or like a, a, even a keychain. So while these small moments are just so normalized in in-person events, we kind of strip all of that away with virtual events. Oh, just come on and do an eight hour conference. There were no breaks in a, in an in-person conference. How many times do you see people in the hallway talking for hours and hours and hours? Um, and virtual events, they're like, Oh, you network from one to two, uh, you know, panels from nine to 12, networking from 12 to two, and then lunch after that and like do your own thing. That's not how we interact in an in-person conference. And I'm not saying it's going to be word for word, piece by piece replicated, but you have to think of these elements. Let's have the networking open all day so people can walk over and talk to each other like they would in a regular conference. Let's, you know, spend some of our budget to invest in 
uh, meals being delivered to a person's home. And there are a lot of tools that make this one, two, three, and even potentially easier than it was in person. Um, let's not try to put a thousand people into a space. We in, in person, we would have had 200. That, that led to more intimate connections. Let's do that again in the virtual space, only max out at 200. So because we could have done this capacity where it's like, you know, the internet is broad and wide, everyone just said, let's do that, let's go big. And we lost a lot of intimacy, a lot of connection, a lot of networking, a lot of um, deeper moments when we did that. And so the folks that are kind of running away, we have to go back in person because we lost our, you know, community, it's because I don't want to say you did this on purpose, but we we they were oversold on the potential of virtual and they and it was incorrectly used. So I believe the best way for every company moving forward is a solid mix of solo. Uh, you know, you can have some more intimate uh, events in person, you know, smaller groups, but the majority of your events should have a virtual component and experience and an in-person component and experience. And more and more tools are being built to allow for that intertwine. So. Two questions. One, how do you facilitate networking virtually? Yeah, so there are a bunch of different ways. Um, I'll, I'll share one. So one of the tools that we've used that re I love for their networking feature is called Remo. So when you come, I don't know if you've been to it. So when you come into it, it's like an immersive platform. You could make a custom map. So if you want to be at the beach, if you want to be at an office, whatever you want to be in the, the, it's like a 3D rendering and you, mm -hmm. or tables, you can sit at the table and it creates like mini Zoom rooms for who, however many people are at the table. And you could visually see, so if I'm at table one and you're at table two, I can see your icon that you're over there, but I'm seeing, I'm chatting with my group and I see only them on camera. I have to move over to you, like click over to your table in order to see you on camera. So that gave a real like, oh wow, like I'm, at, I'm somewhere kind of feel. And then they have like a stage mode where, you know, the, it's similar to like a Zoom webinar where it's like you're watching the content and you're just using the chat. So that duality allowed for something that you would feel like you're doing in person. Like I'm, I have right. to move over to you in order to talk to you. I can't right. just like yell at you later. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it um, also gives you perception that these other mm -hmm. conversations are being had around you and the potential to like, you know, uh, invite yourself in. Exactly. And so being able to visually see that because perception is, is everything. We've seen it so many times where you, um, there's like, you know, little memes where it's like, it's a bunch of rocks, but once you look, you know, move back or look closer, you could read words inside of it. So I think giving that real life experience, but not too much, um, things that were too, too heavily avatar based and too gamified, I think did lean people off of it because it was overly personal. It was, how can I say this? It felt like you were in a robot suit, right? Versus again, yeah. the, the Remo platform, it was just literally your icon, something that you'd see on like a LinkedIn, your headshot, et cetera. That acknowledged like we are virtual, but there is still connection being made versus like, I'm gonna dress up as like my character. I could change my hair color, skin color. It was just mm -hmm. too much and it gave people uh, it, it gave too much of a separation, like, oh, this is my real life self. This is my avatar. Like, it gives too much yeah. of a separation so you don't feel like you're really, like, my avatar met some people or you have to download heavy software. Again, giving people, a, you know, troubleshooting or tech issues. You have to have your bandwidth go well. Right. And then you're right. down the rabbit hole of half the people are really good at this or maybe even a third of the people are really good at this. The next two thirds have no they idea what's going on. everyone out, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, you know, yeah. no customized avatar. And then you're now, like, feeling things like jealousy and FOMO or like, am I really here if I didn't cuss, you know, my avatar is just a gray guy and you have on, you know, a, a three piece suit. How did you do that? <laughs> so here's a question. Um, and, and it came up while I was kind of preparing for, for this episode. I know that before the pandemic conferences were launching like their own mobile apps so that you could connect. And it was like a mini LinkedIn of sorts because you could see a directory of people and, and mm -hmm. message each other. But mm, you kind of had to, like it, it assumed everyone would download this app and use it. And it, it, they seemed like very basic um, and a little wonky. Have, mm -hmm. have, have custom apps for conferences and events gotten any better over the past five years? Um, 
yes, and then they got scared. So I'll answer that in two parts. So during the pandemic and like right after that nook that we had 2021, where we were now or end of 2021, but mostly like 2021 fall to like summer 2022, where we were aware hybrid was necessary, smaller groups, mass, like we had the, the thing so that we were really in the heavy hybrid phase. Um, they got better because everyone was looking for them. And as people started saying, you know, picking a side, like I'm only doing virtual or I'm only doing in person, those apps kind of, be, you know, started losing money and a lot of them shut down. That's what we saw. A lot of the tools that we were using or discovered or even launched between 2020 and 2023 now are either gone, completely shifted their business model. And so there is a tool, Hover. I really like how they, they are um, inter integrating, but they did again pivot a bit to now just kind of living on your website. Um, but what, what another one more tool that I want to mention is Zoom. Zoom has really blown me away with how they are, how they have leveraged their technology to really make it easy. So one of the problems with those, um, event apps in person was that it was just this bubble, uh, that you had to still do a lot of manual work post conference or be super attentive during the conference. When I got to go to seven keynotes, five panels and network and a brunch and a breakfast and a flight, et cetera. And I'm just, I don't, I don't even, I got to go home and just nap right now. I'm not looking um, at so app. Yeah. yeah. And it was just that app. And it's like, if the, if the company didn't pay for it for a certain amount of time after the conference, then you have to either take action or lose the data. The and it was really yeah. clunky to connect with the person actually on LinkedIn. So in an ideal world, you know, we're being futures. I think LinkedIn should have created a tool that allowed integrations with the uh, events. And you, when I connect with you there, it actually just gets me there because that's where we want to go anyway. So when they have the QR code, that really was a big game changer. Well, LinkedIn had a feature someone showed me once and I, I never used it. So I don't know if they still have it, but you can see who's nearby. Like, uh, I think I've seen that not. before. I, but that then that requires location and then like privacy it, stuff. Yeah, That would have been a natural feature of like a conference for mm -hmm. a conference or a meetup. I agree with you, but LinkedIn is, as the CTO said, a dumpster fire of spaghetti code in the back end from being around for so long and having so many identity crises. So for another conversation. <laughs> So the TLDR is, yeah, hybrid events are the norm. There are better tools to uh, help facilitate connection uh, amongst people virtually. Uh, but yeah, you should have both experiences mm -hmm. because some people do love going into the, the physical and real life experiences, but other people absorb the information a whole lot better and learn a whole, whole lot more by being virtual or just physically can't be there. So let's mm -hmm. move on to the next uh, prediction. Um, this is like broad for content and as, as well as events, but hyper personalization becomes the norm. So people want like just for me content. So broadly for all content, what do you think? Is that is that a thing people want just for me content? Um. I'm not seeing that. I think super just for me is more of what businesses thought people wanted more than what people actually wanted. It's like enough for me, but I understand you're serving more people like people <laughs> weirdly enough. And when you got too just for me, it, it just became unmanageable at scale. Like, you know, I can't. Yeah. And, and I think this is an opportunity for AI to step in in the future where, you know, um, we've seen a bunch of movies uh, and tools that, you know, where everyone has like their own Alexa and they get to kind of know your request or your the algorithm understands you a little bit better. So it can feed you the just for me. But I don't think um, from my, my, research and work that I've been doing, I don't think there is a big need for clients to want just for, for me from a, a company directly. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think, you know, I talked to one person before about this prediction. We talked about customizing products. He also mentioned, you know, of course, personalizing your communication, um, being human <laughs> as part of the way you approach things. But I don't, I don't see hyper personalization becoming the norm just because we're battling privacy headwinds mm -hmm. and Google's phasing out third party cookies. So we'll see if that really happens over the next few months. And, uh, you know, security uh, issues are just such a big 
thing right now that um, I think some people are, I think there are some people that would just happier to have less just for me content because mm -hmm. they feel like they're not being listened to. Plus a lot of the just for me content, like YouTube's recommendations of what videos to watch, like they're not good. <laughs> Right. And also, we change so fast as humans. If you gave me yeah. just for me content that was like Georgie 2023 January, like I'm like, what is this? Please back up. Like leave me alone. Right. <laughs> so yeah, we're changing I, so I fast grew. and evolving. Yeah, like I'm not, that's not me anymore. I don't know who that woman is, but not yeah. me. <laughs> All right. So here's another one. Um, video. Well, just a TLDR that one that uh, don't stress about hyper personalization, of course, be human in the content you create. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that uh, event professionals and content people need to stress about getting real, real specific, because mm -hmm. one, the technology isn't there, the burden becomes onerous, right? And two, um, it's not done very well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. So the next uh, prediction, uh, I found this interesting. I'd love to hear your opinion. So um, one event marketing professional said video content will only get shorter and TikTok isn't just for fun. It's a B2B event marketing powerhouse. Well, so the thing about content is that TikTok now has 10 minute videos and they're working on 30 minute ones. So it's like a rubber band right? Mm -hmm. The attention span. So I think in with time, we have seen it happen. TikTok is not the first to do it. We saw it happen with Vine. We saw it happen with Instagram. You know, we see it, the, 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 uh, the duality on, um, what's it called? On uh, YouTube. What's happening, in my opinion, is what we've all seen from the start of time, commercials. Mm -hmm. So if you see the shorter version, right? The one minute, 15 second, 30 second, and they're like, wow, this is good. And you want more, you, you need to have the other option because there's nothing I hate more than when I want more and I have to watch 32 videos in order to understand it because each video is 15 seconds. And then I'm just like, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it, it overwhelms me, my brain. So I'll say that I, don't, I often don't catch it in the moment, but afterwards I feel so drained because I have to do so much mental work to connect back the things. And if I get lost and I have to find like pages on TikTok, and this is one of actually the reasons why I, um, I right now I'm, I have mentally banned TikTok. Maybe I'll go back one day, but it was hard for me to balance on TikTok because I, I love learning and they were putting out a lot of learning con content and a lot of marketing and business content, which is, which are topics that I'm passionate about, but because it was so spread out into little chunks. And then sometimes you'd go on a page, and in order to see the next one, um, they made a feature eventually that you could hop down, but it was just so disconnected that I would literally like be all over the place. And I would feel, I couldn't, I physically could not function after going down the rabbit hole, trying to find the information, connecting the dots and making sense of it because it was too short. So yeah. whereas on YouTube, I have the option to watch, you know, a minute short or a three minute video or a 30 minute video. So having that multitude of options and they're seeing that now where people don't want 17 episode story times, they want, just tell me the thing, please. Or explain it to me, maybe two parts or you know chapters that make sense. Um, so long story short, I think that there is a space for the shorter content, but that is a commercial, bring you in a tease, a quick jab, but long, long form content is not going anywhere. It will never yeah. go anywhere. Um, so that's my maybe, that's my opinion. Maybe B two B event marketing can use TikTok as like commercials, but mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't plan a conference off of short form video content. Um, so yeah, I think it's it, generally it's hard to believe that forty some attorney general, state attorney generals in the U.S. are in a lawsuit <laughs> against TikTok and. B2B is just plowing forward with that platform. So we'll put a pin in that for another conversation. Makes sense, <laughs> listeners. Well, we can bring up TikTok again later. So now let's go to the next segment. 
what do you know? So this is where us relatively intelligent tech ecosystem insiders discuss what hot mess has made national news. And we don't claim to be experts, but we may just know more than you do. And that's okay. We're all here to learn. So the headline is Substack says it will not remove or demonetize Nazi content. All right. Oof. So Casey Newton, the founder of Platformer, which is a news a, a newsletter with 100,000 plus subscribers, published an article on January 11th set this year that he's leaving Substack because he did not like the response. The TLDR of that article is basically Nazis are bad. Nazis are on Substack. Substack should deplatform them. But Substack is not deplatforming them and they are not demonetizing them either i.e if there are people that are subscribed to these uh nazis let's just keep it real simple to these nazis i'm not going to try to be politically correct or whatever Substack is taking their 10 percent. they're making their money what do you think what do you know yeah so i checked that article out and it was very for me I immediately saw the duality and then that's where you have to make a choice and stick to it. No matter what choice you make, it's going to be wrong for someone and right for another person. And I think that's where, you know, ethical practices come in or your core values. Let's say that your core values, like what do you believe in at the core? And as, as Substack is stating, right, we are a platform that what we believe in is sharing your voice, sharing your opinion. So no matter if your opinion is that I love dogs and cats, I want the world to be a better place or I'm a Nazi, we want your voice, we want your opinion. And so while, you know, folks that don't agree with that feel strongly about it, the folks that do agree with that also feel strongly. And I think yeah. that's, that's the complexity of society that we live in. And it is up to that CEO, that team to say, I'm gonna make a decision and whatever consequences, good, bad, or in between that come from it, eat it. You have to eat it. Because if you try to now back, back fall, like, oh my gosh, we didn't realize we were gonna lose half a million people and we're sorry, we're gonna bend. No, 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 uh-uh. You said. Oh, yeah. Own it, just own it. And I think that's the biggest lesson with uh, whether, you know, everything is wrong, everything is right, everything is made up, right? Yeah. And, and we have to make a decision and own the consequences, even if they're not in our favor. I've made so many decisions, both good and bad, and I was like, oh, uh, and I had to just eat it. And when you eat it, that, believe it or not, that shows something to people that says, whatever I believe in, whether you believe in it or not, I'm going to stick by my values. I'm going to stick by, I'm going to say what I, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think that ultimately is more important than anything else, which unfortunately, you know, is a, is a theme that um, is going to strongly impact this election year as well. Like if yeah. you say you're going to do something and you, do, you don't do it, that hurts people more than if you batter, again, if it's bad, ugly or whatever, if you say you're going to do it, and then you do it. They say, oh, yeah. that person is a doer. They get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. So so um, co-founder uh, Hamish McKenzie, he doesn't want to get into censorship. That was what he said. He doesn't want to get into the business of censorship. So on Make Sense, I, I love to highlight the people behind the technology because their worldview mm -hmm. and their opinions heavily informs the design of the products that we use, thereby influencing us, our behavior, and our mental health. Criticize the way McKenzie has kind of carried himself because he's kind of vacillating on where their terms of service, where their line is with um, censorship. I think where he has fallen is like, if it's calls for violence and is action oriented, that's where censorship will get um, pulled in. Mm -hmm. uh, the arguments is like this one guy, this guy, Casey Newton, the platformer that with the platformer newsletter, you know, he has hundreds of thousands of subscribers. This could very well be a, a dollars and cents decision too, because he said he brought something like 70,000, 100,000 readers to Substack when he moved his newsletter there. If even like 5% of those people, I, I'm not even going to bother doing the math. Let's just say 10,000 people pay him $5 a month mm -hmm. for that newsletter, the, the premium. 
mm-hmm. right? So he, he's making 50 grand a month. Yep. Substack charges you $0 if you're making zero, but they charge you 10% mm-hmm. of whatever you make. So he's shelling out $5,000 a month to Substack to use their platform, right? Um, that's a lot of money to pay a software platform. And if he owns that audience and can move that audience to a different platform where um, they don't take such a large percentage, then there's there's definitely a dollars and cents issue there mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and I think on the other side, but, but I think his complaints are valid. Listen, I, I'm Jewish. Okay. I don't want to like see a lot of Nazi content. But then on the other hand, you know, uh, the way Substack works, like you get recommended you publications from people you follow. So if mm-hmm. you are not following Nazis or Nazi sympathizers that recommend Nazis and Nazi sympathizer Substacks, then you shouldn't actually see that content. Exactly. Right? So and, then your and, real and- issue is, should Substack be taking money at any point? point from magazines that are or newsletters that are promoting hate that's the question and i and i think this unfortunately is the the conflict of society because there's a rabbit hole folks could fall down in so that's why you know it is a tough topic but then you know let's say they do ban that that one group right then another person is like hey Let's go after this other group. Let's go after people that are pro-abortion. Let's go after people that are say like so. It opens up a can of worms. Like, and so that's why I'm just like you have to pick a side and 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 you have to have a re like he said it's about censorship because we don't want to censor people and all the platforms that we're on um you know and you don't so I'll say this all the platforms that we're on have you know their own groups and that i've never seen and i remember when i was uh when i was um using tiktok more frequently not tiktok twitter x uh more frequently don't call it x i i (laughs) I have a sword it's twitter and don't even say twitter x formerly known as twitter it's twitter okay Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Twitter, because that's what I want to say. I'm just like, I'm like, I don't, I type no. in twitter.com. Um, but when I used it primarily, I was, you know, the content that I saw because of who I followed, um, it's often referred to as like black Twitter, right? And I didn't conceptualize that there was other Twitters <laughs> for a long time. I just was like, this is what I see on Twitter. But then like people started calling it black. I was like, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a house. I didn't even know I was in this house. And so like you said, I think it's a similar concept with Substack that actually may be even more smart than Twitter was where, you know, if you're in this group and you're following these type of people, then it will recommend this type of content. But it's just, you know, if, if, it, if he was like, yeah, we're not doing that because like we support not, that's a bigger, way wild issue. But if it's, if it's the value of we want people to come on and share their voice and we don't want to do, we don't want to censor people unless again, it's hate or danger um, is immediate, then I get it. I do, do I like it? No, absolutely not. But do I understand it? And these are some of the big and complicated de- decisions that we're going to have to make in the present and in the future. Um, you know, I, as we were talking about different tools that are being used, AI is learning from who's putting in information. What groups of people are putting in information inside of <laughs> AI or asking it prompts or asking it questions? And we influence that so much. But I know for a fact that certain important groups of society are not actively using these tools for a variety of reasons, whether it's, you know, not uh, accessible, um, you know, religious purposes, um, community based. Like there's so wide of a reason. Issues, biasy issues, mm -hmm. you know, there's. Yeah, and we've talked about it on makes. I've talked about it with some other um, guests on Make Sense. You know, AI is just as racist and discriminatory as the people that design it. I think you know someone else put on LinkedIn like 
AI is just as good as its last meal. So like whatever information we are feeding it. I remember, you know, five, six years ago, maybe Microsoft put out an AI Twitter account and, you know, users. Oh, I heard about that. I got bad real fast. <laughs> users went like, you know, NC17 on, on it. And within like 24 hours, the Twitter account was talking smack, talking dirty, <laughs> talking, you know, like, and so that's, a, you know, it, it, AI for all of its advances, it's still very much like its morals and ethics, again, reflect the people that design it and the people that um, feed it. Uh, I think we could probably, you know, there's this one part of the conversation that I thought about having around, you know, the issue with like, uh, TikTok that's different than like Twitter and Facebook um, is, uh, well, let me level set for a second. All of these platforms have Nazis on them, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, if you're not using Substack and you're using WordPress, like WordPress has Nazis using, like, you can't get away from the fact that there are people that believe these things, right? Um, and believe things different than you. The, the question is whether their algorithms, like, actively support the dissemination of this information. And what I find interesting as I think about what TikTok's doing versus what maybe Twitter and Facebook found themselves doing with the misinformation in 2016 mm -hmm. and 2020 and every day since um, <laughs> is that it's like outside actors using the platform and the algorithm to spread information. Uh, and that's, you know, Substack too, but, you know, Twitter ads and Facebook ads, like they're making money off of whoever's paying to disseminate mm -hmm. That information. TikTok, yes, has that same model, but they're the alleged, you know, crime is that it's not just outside actors, it's inside actors that are influencing the mm -hmm. content that goes out on the algorithm and what gets highlighted. Um, so I, I think Substack leans very much on the same side as Twitter and Facebook. Like it's mostly outside actors taking advantage of their algorithm um, and less abusive. Um, like they need to figure out their censorship policy and that's it. But it, it's not the same as what's why TikTok is in court with, mm -hmm. you know, attorney generals because they believe the company is actually manipulating the content hands on themselves. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. And whew, time will tell us all, right? Yeah. We, you know, whatever um, there's a saying, you know, what happens in the dark comes to light. But I feel like, again, when when you make a decision, whether you're an organization or individual, acknowledge the, the consequences, both good and bad, because people hear consequences and think bad. There are cons good consequences, bad consequences that happen. And you are allowed to change your mind in the future, but just know that there, that also will come with different decision, different consequences. So I think just staying true to what you believe in that time and day um, is what will allow people to see that, okay, you are a person and if you, you didn't have the right information or you learned something new that allows you to change your decision, you say, hey, I was misinformed. I said this, but I no longer believe or support or want to do that. And, and that's okay. Like the evolution of people. And that's why I said, you know, the, the, the micro content of like um, super personalized content, what you believed and did and thought a year ago versus what you think and believe and want to do today is going to change. And that's, that's what happened with events. That's what happened with uh, COVID. That's what happened. That's what's happening with AI. And that's the, that's the core of technology. Yeah. If we think back and like, if we strip down every piece of technology to its most basic use, we're back to um, what it's called, the wheel. And what was that thing that like the, the wheel and the, the, the scale the thing? I forgot. The pulley? Like, are yes, the wheel and the pulley. We're, if, you scale, if you really think about everything, it's just give and take. That's it. It's just In, we're, we're doing it. Input and output. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Input, output. <laughs> so um, I'm going to surprise you with this last segment. It's not, it shouldn't be too surprising. I just wonder if you know this, but... Um, from disruptive to disastrous. So in this segment, my guests and I talk about when technology might 
backfire. Uh, I'm obsessed with the fact that the growth and innovation of the past 20 years has actually resulted in uh, no productivity gains. So like, what's the deal? And with search? Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed? Yeah. I'm just like, um, why is this? Like, I feel like the answers and the results that I got from like Google 2012 was like way more efficient than I get now. Yeah. Yeah. So the one hand, like efficient, like uh, you can just put in a word and it will pop up the definition. You know, you can just put in a flight number and it will pop up the departure and arrival time. Uh, It used to be in 2005, if I wanted to get a definition of a word, I had to write define colon the word. to get the definition to come up. Um, Google wasn't savvy like it is now. Mm -hmm. But yes, a year-long study shows what we've all suspected. Google search is getting worse. So there have been been studies uh, from a bunch of different angles, and Google is plagued with SEO spam. They gave Mm -hmm. everyone a playbook for how to optimize for their search engine and to no surprise spammers have taken advantage of it yeah and and it's you know like i think you said we we mentioned at some point in the conversation technology for good technology for bad people and and it's a little disappointing and like the amount of like spam emails that i'm spam messages i'm getting on my facebook page spam emails i'm getting on my email address like i just like I, like part of me feels like I want to get off the internet, but I know that's not like real or possible in 2024, but it just, I just want it to not be so much like fake. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, I miss the days when social media, like I, I remember AIM, you know, it was, was it complicated to get on? Yes. But once you were on, you had a good time. It felt good. Yeah. Now it just feels overwhelming. You have a headache. Everyone's lying to you or everyone looks too good. And I'm just like, ugh. I just want to play solitaire. (laughs) I actually have gone back to, I had inherited my dad's Microsoft Surface and I've actually been using Microsoft Paint and drawing (laughs) in Microsoft Paint. And I'm like, this is fabulous. And it's just just those simple things where it's just, you feel good about it. There's there's too much, I think there's too a lot of pressure to be impressive or be up to date. And so, you know, with what I do with the tech support, like, the approach that I have to folks is like, you don't need to, you don't, you are not, it's not your deficit that you don't know what to do here. Like it is okay. There are people like me. I I literally enjoy this solving tech problems. Like, Oh, the camera's not working. The mics, these are, I, that excites me. And when it was, you know, let's go 10, 15 years back. I did that with razor flip phones. I did that with PSPs and DS, like, it didn't matter what the, like, that's just my thing. If it was puzzles, if it was whatever, like, that's what I like. And so don't feel discouraged because you're not as fast or as creative or as, you know, fancy and flashy as everyone else. Just do what you, do, do what you love, do what you like and make your day feel good. Because I feel like there's so much material to make us feel like crap yeah, these we, days. We, we need to be, I mean, just to circle back to you know where we started with google search results getting worse it's we keep designing software to get humans out of the way and um we actually like desire more humanity right and we like need human fail safes because software even from the greatest technology company or one of the greatest technology companies, Google, can deprecate, can mm-hmm. get worse, you know, can stop serving, you know, its function. And and right now, when I was searching marketing predictions and event predictions for this year, I had to force Google to search TechCrunch, to search the next web, to search Mashable. Because when I search just generally, the whole first page was all URLs that I had no trust in. I didn't recognize any of them. 
Um, and I took a class in graduate school called Quality of Information. So uh, I consider myself an expert in figuring out which. <laughs> I just finished a class on um, research methods. I'm, a, I'm in grad school now, so I feel your pain. Um, yeah. it's, like my, it's like, is it a scholarly article? Is it, you know, art? what's the substance? And that word that you just mentioned, trust. Trust is so important because no matter if humans matter human Mm -hmm. faces and human beings build trust particularly in virtual worlds it's like it's scientifically studied and proven (laughs) that the human element is important for trust yeah and yet we're trying to like get them out the way yeah no (laughs) so like it's funny i tell people i've been passionate about designing technology for people my entire career and i'm like that might sound like nothing special, like everyone designs technology for people, but nay, nay, most people design technology to get humans out of the way, not to support them and make them more amazing. And I I agree with you. I really like the reminder that not everyone has to be awesome at tech. And that's why you and I exist is because we want to simplify the interface, you know, um, and not just the literal user interface, but but like we want to simplify what people need to know. We want to simplify it so that they can understand just enough to make better choices for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is definitely the spirit behind um, makes sense. So um, let's make it make sense. Human is premium, whether it's in events or Google search or Substack, you know, um, but human humans are diverse and we have diverse opinions. So yeah. I love that. Humans are <laughs> gotta accept that. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> humans, humans are, are diverse. We have diverse yeah. opinions. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're going to change consistently. Like um, a book that really hones in on this is um, uh, The Originals uh, by Adam Grant. And it's just, I, I've read it like twice already because it just talks about how we all evolve and it's, and it's what is expected, but we have to do it. And, you know, no matter what the evolution has been, humans are at the center of it. So why, why try to fight that is, I think, yeah. the question. Growth. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta grow. So thank you for listening to Make Sense with me, your host, Lindsay Tabis, and my guest, Georgianne Gettin. Uh, Georgianne is an execution expert, so you should call on her and GSD Solutions. You can schedule a 30-minute workflow automation consultation with her team at gsdsolutionsinc.com forward slash let's talk. Uh, those links will be in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed our take on a bunch of things, including, you know, event marketing technology and, you know, where we actually are uh, with technology op- uh, adoption. Uh, Georgianne, anywhere else people can find you online besides that Let's Talk URL? Yeah, um, I'm on YouTube and Instagram, both. Just search Georgianne Gettin and you'll find me um, sharing a lot of information about my thoughts, opinions, and um, it's a little messy, but that's okay because I'm human. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Messy, but fun. <laughs> all right. So as always, you can check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Final note, if you want to continue to be the smartest person in the room, make sure you're getting notified when each episode hits. So on YouTube, hit that subscribe for next week's episode. Audio only follow wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, Georgie, for joining me. Thanks for having me.